American Council of Blind Lions, ACBL, is the affiliate that roars, and that's no lion. ACBL holds monthly conference calls and ACB convention events that help people who are blind or visually impaired become more involved in local Lions Clubs. Find out more. Call 502-897-1472 or email lions.acb at gmail.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning or afternoon, everyone, depending on what time zone you're in. My name is Christy Crespin. I'm coming to you from Highland, California, and this is ACB History Book Discussion Group. We are discussing the unseen minority, a social history of blindness in the United States by Francis, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, initial A, last name Kessler, K-O-E-S-T-L-E-R, copyright 1976 and 2004 by the American Council of the Blind. This is available on BARD for the 1976 edition and on Bookshare for the 2004 edition. With us this morning streaming is Larry Gassman. Thank you very much, Larry. And we have as our host this morning, Ms. Allison Smitherman, who will give us the details about raising and lowering hands and muting and unmuting. Thank you, Allison. You're welcome, uh, Christy. Okay, so if if you want to raise your hand, if you're on a Mac, uh, you raise hand with option Y. Let me back up. I'm sorry. If you're on a PC, you raised hand with Alt Y, mute or unmute with Alt A. If you're on a Mac, you raise your hand with option Y, mute or unmute with Command Shift A. If you're on your smart device, the raised hand option is under the more button, which is located in the lower right hand corner of your screen. To mute or unmute, uh, that button is located in the lower left hand corner of your screen, and it's a toggle. Uh, if you're on your telephone, you raise your hand with star nine, mute or unmute with star six. And that's it. All right. Thank you very much. All right, you guys, I'm missing my my peeps. We have a very light uh, attendance here this morning. So I'm hoping, you know, some of you guys on ACB Media Land, you guys have read this. Come on, get in so you can get in on the discussion because if we don't have discussion, I'm going to end this thing early. Uh, I'm not going to just talk about it by myself. So. Um, I guess uh, what I'd like to do is start out by uh, having people talk about what you've read so far from uh, the beginning up to uh, chapter eight, which I will then include in the next section. So um, is there anyone who would like to talk about what you've read up? up through chapter seven 
I'm not seeing any raised hands at the moment, Christy. Oh, yes, no, you are. there goes one. Larry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Larry? People ignore me. Oh, well. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am a tad behind. Not, I'm not caught up yet, but that's okay. I will eventually. It just yeah. takes some time. Um, I, as I was telling Christy before we started this, I'd heard Helen Keller speak because I have, I'm a huge radio collector and have done conventions and all kinds of stuff. So I've got a lot of stuff from the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and I have her on a few shows. Um, but those were scripted, where she was asked to say something about something, and something was written for her, and she said it. Or, I don't know what she would have done in that case. Maybe somebody was spelling what she was supposed to say into her hand. I'm not sure. I didn't think about that because I don't know what form of Braille she would have read back then. And, of course, with it, I never got a chance to meet her. So that's something to look up and Google, perhaps. But I didn't know all of the intricacies of who she was much or how she reacted to various things like being blind and dealing with sighted people and all the other stuff that we deal with as a normal reaction to the world that we live in. And so I was fascinated to read this book because it talked a lot about how she reacted to things, what she thought of talking books, for instance, uh, her her attitude towards Braille, etc. Things that we never would have heard just by watching her and listening to her in terms of public. This is something that was behind the scenes that we got access to because we happened to read this particular book. So I was fascinated by all of that. And, and I'm much more fascinated by this book than I was, for instance, the first chapter or two. It took a little while for me to, to warm up to them and to get acclimated to what the ideas were regarding this book. But it's much easier to read now, and I'm enjoying it. I just have to stop reading it right before I go to bed because I fall asleep. <laughs> well, I started reading, and, um, and I all of a sudden, because I kind of did that too a little bit and I was in chapter 13 and I'm like wait I don't even remember I don't think I was asleep I think I was just so fascinated by um everything that was being written um I I found it so interesting that um the relationship between Helen Keller and Robert uh Irwin and uh the and um, Miguel, Miguel, and uh, the major, and um, that um, although Annie Sullivan got married, she even had her own fundraising team without even knowing it. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, but Annie Sullivan got married, and I guess her husband left her, and and not much was said of that, but. No, that's kind of sad. So really, basically, all all their lives, they basically had each other. And then Pauline Thompson, who joined the you know the the team and and worked with Helen and Annie. And uh, I guess you know when Annie got tired, Pauline would work with um, with Helen and vice versa. And and I mentioned this last week. I just can't believe that Helen did all the typing for them. That just is amazing to me. And, and knowing how hard it was to type, 
I um I had a a big honking 1913 typewriter from my grandmother. Um, and it was oh, I, I got mad at my sister and I picked it up. <laughs> I was gonna throw it at her. <laughs> but um, you know, the 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 typing was different, the ribbon, the the whole how did how long did it take to type a letter? How we think about how hard it is for us to do things now, and we get frustrated with electronics. I was just doing a Schwann's shopping, and I hope it took because I I think I submitted my order. <laughs> I hope I did. Um, but you know, back in the day, things took forever. How could you read? How could you, as a blind person, manipulate? Um, how could you? How could you? Um, how could you figure out what? Um, how could you figure out what? Um, my phone is talking to me. Speaking of electronics, how can you figure out what is um, what you could do as a blind person? And then we had um, movers and shakers again, you know, and in, in, in that people are not mentioned, you know, from people of vision, but um, some of the people in the American Foundation for the Blind who who started it, or in the American Workers for the uh, yeah American Association of Workers for the Blind, um, then we start reading in other organizations like the American Library Association. Um, keep reading. Keep reading about. Um, um, the um, um, the everything keeps talking to me. <laughs> I keep keep reading about um, how strong-willed some of these blind folks were, um, and how um, I, I guess it. it they just mentioned a lot in, in the book uh, about how the other people, the sighted folks, were really surprised that blind folks were kind of not on the same page all the time. You know, just because we're blind doesn't mean we are interested in the same kinds of things or that we you know, approach life in the same way. Um, so I thought that was a, a pretty telling um, part of the history of this book. Christy, tell me if you think that there's something to this or maybe I've taken a left turn and have run into a wall too many times. Uh-huh. Uh and I'm wondering about the attitudes that we as blind people have today versus what people thought and the attitudes they came they had 
during the 1800s into the early 1900s before communication because everything we do as blind people, certainly we have to have some confidence in what we think and how we say it, etc. But it's it's conveyed through Zoom now and other forms of communication. So there's instantaneous communication with other people who say, yes, I agree with that, or are you kidding, you idiot, versus <laughs> yeah. stuff from the 1800s where you have to have an opinion, but you, you do not have instant communication unless the blind person that you're talking to is right with you. But generally they weren't. They were across the United States or in another state. So you had to, you had to form your opinions and your thoughts and stay by them and then get reactions from them, which could take anywhere from days to weeks versus now to months. To months. To months. Yeah. 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 Especially like if you were, you know, traveling through covered wagons, you, you might not see another person, let alone a blind person for months. Yeah. So there's a difference in terms of how how you communicate and and how you believe in certain things and the way that they're expressed versus then versus now. It's totally different. I could change my mind probably 10 times today based on stuff I hear on calls and the people I talk to, et cetera, because it's instantaneous. Yes. Yes. Does anyone want to join in on this discussion? I see we've gotten a couple more people coming in. A um, couple of phone numbers that I don't know who you are. No one's raising their hands right now. Come on, guys. <laughs> Be bold. So what I was figuring out um, from reading People of Vision and then kind of thinking about um, this book is that, you know, you are your own self-made person. And so if you did something, if you were blind and you did something, I'm thinking about, well, that's going into the next chapter. But um, I'm thinking about if you lived on a farm, and you participated as a blind girl or boy or man or woman in farm chores. Um, you did it because you could or you didn't do it because they wouldn't let you. Um, I, I know some blind people that they do things that I think to myself, how are they doing that? I, I couldn't do that. And I'm blind and I'm gutsy. Um, so if I think that as a blind person, you know, what are, what do, and especially back in that day, how did they get by with, like I said, if they were doing chores, I can't remember who it was that they mentioned was on a farm that was doing the chores along with his siblings was a guy um and then i think about um people who maybe they're doing um how did they get into doing things like uh caning or um making brooms or um doing those blind industries kinds of things how did um how did some of those, uh, as we'll read uh, you know, pretty soon, talk about pretty soon, how did some of those people um, 
determine what they were going to read, how they were going to read, um, if they were going to read. I, I think it's the same thing that happens today in terms of how what a blind person decides he or she is going to do as a livelihood. It's the people that surround them and communicate with them. It's the information that they get from other people. And if you're living on a farm, for instance, where you're isolated probably from a lot of people or at least more so than we are today, you know, you pick up on each other's habits. And when somebody says, hey, I need the milk, the cow's milked, you might say at first, how do I do that? And they show you or if they yeah. or they show you a way that might work for you and then maybe you amplify that so that you figure out a way that will work for you. Or I need I need you to collect the, the eggs from the chickens. I mean, I'm not sure that I would know how to do that because I never lived on a farm, but I'll bet you somebody yeah. who was blind who lived on a farm will have figured it out a long time ago. And After so you adapt. You adapt to your surroundings. Absolutely you do. Yeah. Because you have After. to. After a few broken eggs and pecked fingers. Yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> but you do it. But you got to start somewhere. And so do we have any hands up? I don't Livy, see any. Livy, I'm picking on you. Did you get to read the book from chapter one through chapter seven? Livy, you're muted. You can unmute. All day, command shift day, if you're on a Mac. She's on a PC. Okay. There we go. Hey. Hi. I had, no, I have not been able to read it. Um, So, but I'm thinking to myself, um, I would think that most blind people back then were you know, sat in a corner and really didn't do much of anything uh, until Braille came along because they didn't have any, you know, it was that stereotypical uh, thought of, well, you're blind, you're dumb, you can't do nothing type of thing. Actually, when you get into starting to read chapter eight, you'll be surprised. Okay. 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 You will be surprised, right, Larry? Absolutely. Yeah. So who else do we have on this call? We have a raised hand. uh, All right. Area code 505 ending in 638. Okay. You can unmute. And tell us who you are. Oh, Beth. Beth. I thought that was you, Beth. How did I not recognize that area code? (laughs) Oh, that's Allison. Hi, Allison. Oh, also, I was going to say, um, yeah, back in the days, a lot of people, like, a lot of people thought my parents were mean because there was some other blind children that um, they didn't let them do chores or anything. And... Um, or, you know, my parents were like, well, for me and my sisters, no, she was a high partial, but, um, or is a high partial, but 
they're like, well, you know, they have to learn just as much as anyone else. We're not going to live forever. So we had that encouragement or that, uh, um, I guess you would call it discipline to be able to, they wanted us to be able to learn stuff. And which I, I think I'm very fortunate that they did want that for us. Um, like I said, there was a lot of other parents that that didn't want their kids playing outside or anything like that because, like they were saying, you know, you have you sit in. A, they wanted some people wanted you to sit in a corner and stuff. So I can imagine how those um, those people felt like in the in the twenties and thirties and forties. In fact, I remember in the early 60s when they told me that Helen Keller was still alive. I'm like, wow, that was cool. And then I got to watch that movie, The Miracle Worker. The Miracle Worker, yeah. I, and I thought it was very neat. And um, I am still a little bit behind on the, in the book. What chapter are you up to now, Beth? Ooh, about three. <laughs> About what? Six? Three. Three? Oh, come on. Um, it's interesting reading. The more you read it, the more yeah, interesting it is. But it, is. I, it is, but I barely got the book. I got the book late. Oh, okay. <laughs> it All is right. very interesting reading. Um, because, like, I did know a lot of people that um, uh, were older than me that got to cane chairs and... Uh, I got to make brooms and stuff like that because um, sometimes there's a lot of, like I know more blind people in this state that have college degrees that can't use them because employers won't hire you. So Mm -hmm. I think the industry's things were a good thing and I'm sorry that ours closed. I would have been horrible at it. I, uh, in 1976, I was in one of those career exploration things with the Braille Institute. And I was trying to get in with, um, I was trying to get into like a personnel type of position with Beckman Industries. Beckman Instrument, I think is what it was called. And I think people thought that I was being snooty because I didn't want to do a factory job. But really, um, I'm terrible at counting and remembering, sorting. Um, I tried to knit. (laughs) And yeah, well, let's just say I knitted a pair of slippers. um, And that was a a heroic feat, (laughs) F-E-A-T, for my mother's feet. (laughs) <laughs> and um and so you know not all of us can do that kind of stuff so uh, i mean i think we do need more of the trades and yes the i think the blind population is one of the most educated unemployed um populations were untapped but thank you beth anyone else at the front door. Oh, sorry. 
I'm not seeing any raised hands right now, Christy. Who's who's three thirty? One five seven at the end. Oh. Who are you? Hello. Three three zero ending in one five seven. You're muted. Can you star six and unmute, please? Tell us who you are. I hear somebody unmuted. That's my dog in the background. Oh, your dog. Sorry, I may oh, have kind to mute. It? It's a shorty. She's a Yorkie combination. Oh, cute. He, he's cute. adorable, but he he likes to bark when the mailman. Or, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, so no. Okay, so I guess um, if there are no other comments about um, one through seven, probably nobody has gotten up to chapter eight yet. Anybody read chapter eight? Well, I'm, where are you sitting? I'm in the middle of it. Yeah, I'm in okay. the middle of it now. Okay, so so I don't. I was going to listen to how the talking book pronounced the um, the name of the system that the Braille code was adapted from, but um, a guy okay, so now my Braille sense is doing something interesting. Okay, so a guy named Barbier, B-A-R-B-I-E-R, invented a military code where um, the soldiers could communicate at night and um, they could, um, and they called it night writing. And it was a system of raised dots. The fingers could interpret without the need for um, using a light. Um, and so for the military value of Barbier system, um, it um, they were, he used dots. So this was the first time dots were used rather than, uh, the, rather than, uh, tracings of writings. And, um, and Um, so they were arranged into two, uh, they were arranged into a secret code based on a 12 dot unit or cell. Gee, where did we get the six dot cell? Okay. Two dots wide. That's normal by six dots high. That's a lot for a finger to try to figure out. So each dot or combination of dots within this cell arrangement stood for a letter or a phonetic sound. So I'm kind of thinking that's where we get the SH, the ST, the yep. CH. That reminds me of phonetic. Jumbo Braille. Have you ever seen yeah. Jumbo Braille? How, oh, I, how, can't I can't read it either. 
Mm-mm. And I've got big yeah. hands, and I yeah. I have to really stretch in order to read, and and it's slow for me because I have to yeah. look at every part of the cell. Yeah, it is very cumbersome. Yeah, Theori- three, theoretically, um, Barbier's system was a breakthrough. Um, in practice, it failed to work. It was too complex, too clumsy. To spread out. It did not take into account the limited area the human uh, fingertip could span with a single touch. Yeah, you'd have to go over it and over it. In 1808, when um, I'm going to spell this, I'm not sure how. If it's incrature, um, nocturne, E-N-C-R-I-T-U-R-E. I'm not a French person. I want to make everything Spanish. <laughs> uh, that incrature, nocturne. Do you know how to say that? Anybody French? Nope. Nope. Was, was uh, presented to the French Academy of sciences, it was rightly acclaimed as a brilliant invention. In the succeeding years, Barbier experimented with variations of his system, um, employing different numbers of dots and different um, cipher codes. These duly submitted, these were duly submitted to the Academy and their published uh, reports were widely circulated. So eventually, one report found its way to the National Institute for the Blind in Paris, where um, the 12 dot system was tested and rejected as impracticable. Um, Christy, it's uh-huh. one, just want to let you know it's one thirty. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. So, so, but here's what happened. One thoughtful and active member of the student body perceived that dot writing did have possibilities. And we all know who that was. The student was Louis Braille, who was only 11 years old and newly enrolled at this, at this school when Barbier's invention was tried out in 1820. So, but nine years later, um, Louis Braille achieved a breakthrough by finding a way to overcome the two fundamental flaws in Barbier's system. First, he cut the number of dots in half so that a fingertip could encompass the entire cell unit of six dots in one 
impression. He then devised a new code alphabet rather than phonetic, employing combinations of these six dots. The, gen the genius of Louis Braille's system was its simplicity. We don't think it's so simple, but it really is. He arranged his dot cell into two parallel columns, three dots high, um, starting with the letter A. He used the single dot in the cell's user um, upper left-hand corner. For the next letter, B, he added the dot directly underneath. To denote the letter C, he used a dot and its corresponding dot in the upper right corner. And for identification purposes in teaching the system, he numbered his dots one, four. So that's how we started learning two, five, which is, um, and three, six. So, so basically that's how we, we look at this. The first 10 letters of the alphabet, as we know, um, from A through J, employed only the dots in the upper two rows of the cells, of the cell. Braille then made the next 10 letters by adding the bottom left corner dot three to each of his first 10 letters. So we have K through T. Now he needed five combinations and it has parentheses. The French alphabet, which at that time omitted the letter um, I know I'm trying to figure out what this is. The letter, it says the letter two. That was the letter W. But it, it on, on the bookshare, it says two. But yeah, so everything else matches, but the letter W. So it only had 25 letters. So if you think about that, you know, we wondered, I wondered, I always wondered, why was W so different? Um, so that for this purpose, he used the lower right, um, dot six, adding it to his previous combinations. And, um, so and we find out in chapter eight and, and, and corresponding chapters that Louis Braille's 
invention didn't even get to the United States uh, for a long time. And, and, and we also find out that there were several different types of raised print and raised dots. Um, for instance, um, moon type was um, made with using print letters, but cutting off um, various parts of the letter. For instance, the A is a letter A without the, the legs of the A in print. Um, and I remember looking at moon dots, thinking how weird it is. And uh, to me, it was, it was I, I, I sort of understood it, but it was very difficult to, to really try to figure out. And you really couldn't make any combinations with it. Um, they had a Boston-style print. They had New York, and there was a big uh, hoopla between New York style, which was dots as well. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find it. Um, we had American Braille, revised American Braille. Um, um, So one speaker said um, in, during a convention, if anyone invents a new system of printing for the blind, shoot him on the spot. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, so the right psychological moment for change grew nearer as plans were developed for the um, convening of the World Conference of Blind in New York in 1931. In um, an atmosphere of international cooperation and with the way already paved by the agreement on Braille music, which, um, which this was interesting to me, Braille music became um, basically um, um, nationalized um, and and uh, uh, blocking on the word that I want to use, but it was it was in everybody was in agreement um, in the different um, nations because music was such a um, a worldwide experience that um, the music braille became standardized throughout uh, the braille reading uh, world. Um, and so with the that um, came the um, opportunity for final accommodation with between um, the U.S. and Great Britain to win over those who still um, were reluctant. Uh, Robert Irwin, who was blind from um, AFB, add a dollar and cents 
um, to uh, inducement by having staff assistant Ruth E. Wilcox conduct a statistical quotes um, contraction study in quotes to determine the relative amounts of space. Um, and so um, um, they covered the expense required uh, by British and American uh, grades, you know, to, to, uh, to study them. And the study demonstrated that grade two occupied from 12 to 14% less space than grade one. Um, I think it's supposed to be one and a half. It says 11 slash two in bookshare. So I don't, I think it's supposed to be one and a half. Um, for example, the six letter word nation, um, and of course I'm reading this in um, UEB, N-A dots five, six, N. Um, in grade two used N, uh, N followed by the two cell contraction for A-T-I-O-N, which we remember from English Braille, uh, American edition. And that needed only three Braille characters, whereas the same word written in grade one and a half um, contained all six letters and therefore required six Braille cells. So they were you know, trying to figure out how to um, contract um, and, and, and use less space. So um, in 1929, on the way to, on the way to uh, Vienna, uh, Robert Irwin stopped in London and found the British uh, more receptive than in the past. He wrote Miguel uh, about his discussions, quotes, I really believe that if we put sufficient drive behind this thing, we can bring about almost complete universality or uniformity, sorry, in quotes. His optimism was justified when Sir Ian Fraser, later Lord Fraser of uh, Lonsdale, Chairman St. Dunstan's uh, Executive Council and an acknowledged leader of the British Blind told the opening session of the World Conference on Work for the Blind in 1931, quotes, it's my belief that a little common sense and a little give and take 
on both sides of the Atlantic may bring about a uniform type. Well, didn't we just recently experience something like this with standardizing English Braille in English-speaking countries, and we now have unified English Braille? So, you know, um, in September 1932, um, the Outlook triumphantly headlined, the Outlook is a magazine, triumphantly um, outlined an article, Uniform Braille for the English-Speaking World Achieved. Well, obviously it wasn't because we were still working on it. But the compromise that uh, version that they offered was called Standard English Braille. And it was immediately adopted for all adult literature. For some years, school books for beginning readers retained the easier grade one and a half but this was gradually abandoned and all books came to be produced in standard English Braille. Um, so does anybody have any comments on this? Any surprises? Only that even today, it takes a long time to get some things accomplished. Yeah. You know, how long did it take for us to, when BANA began, and they, they talked about how BANA was formed, and, um, you know, how, how, how many years did it take for us to, to do this latest reform? Um, I know the last reform that um, I saw was 1992, and... Um, they, and, and some of the changes were kind of sneaky um, because some of the Braille was written differently, like I noticed in Duxbury. I, I wanted to see um, why they put um, the 456 in front of the dots 34 to make the slash. And so I put it in my... I don't remember if it was a Braille and speak or whatever it was. I put it in some of my Braille reading devices and they didn't read it um, mm. the way it, it, you know, was supposed to be read. Yet in Duxbury, these things were already happening. Um, and, and so I believe that the, the last edition, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like 1970. And then 1992, and then 2016 is when we started using um, UEB, and we've got people fighting tooth and nail not to change. But I'll tell you, having adopted UEB, I like it so much better, and it makes so much more sense. And I think it helps people with their spelling. Um, I've read some really bad Braille. So have I where people and, and bad um, typing. And, and run-on run sentences. 
right. long but run not on only sentences. That, but run on words. Yeah. Because people don't realize that those couplets were in print really separated. So I see people writing into the um, in print and it's one word. Um, they may be writing Braille um, and it doesn't translate. So, um, so in, in uh, chapter eight, it talks about the finger the reading, finger reading. And that's what, it, that's what they call what we do is finger reading, which I had not really heard that term. Mm-hmm. I've heard Braille readers, but I haven't heard finger reading. Christy, we have uh-huh. a raised hand. Okay. Okay. Yay. Beth? Good. Beth, Beth you can unmute. <laughs> Hello. Um, I don't really care for you, E.B. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I've seen it, and I just... Ugh. If you get a chance, at least take a course in it so that you understand what it is and why they did it. And when you I've do, seen it, and I, I've seen it, and that it that makes me only resent sighted people more. Well, yeah, I think they okay. They ruin everything own. for us. I I, <laughs> I don't think I think it helps us to be more on a level playing field. And if you're a professional and you're writing, um, it it really is nice to be able to see when people are bolding things when people are italicizing or underlining and not wonder what that is, if it's an underline or italicis or a, or a, or bold. Um, Oh yeah. I think I, I hate computer braille and I don't understand it. And, Oh, I don't like it either. (laughs) But when you use UEV, you don't have to use computer braille for internet addresses or anything like that. So you know, it does, it has its perks, uh, and it and it really does make sense. Um, but like I said, you know, I understand this, it's difficult to want to change. Um, it's really not that much more difficult when you um, figure it out, you know, the, the decimal point. Um, you know, I always wondered why is a decimal point different than a period? It's a dot. So, yeah. well, I didn't, I didn't care for being mainstreamed in in public school either, though. Yeah. Oh, I was mainstreamed. Yeah, I was too. Yeah. Yep. I mean, uh, I, it was not the teachers, but some of the kids were rude. Oh huh. yeah, tell me about it. I mean, I had an hour. An I liked hour it better in the UK than I ever did here. I went to a resource room when I had to take a test, but it was only for a half hour or an hour so somebody could read to me. But other than that, I was mainstream throughout the whole day. And I loved it. I made people notice me as a blind person because I wanted to. Absolutely, I wanted to. I I wanted them to know that I can just like anybody else. Oh, I'm sorry. I said, I just wanted to make sure that they knew that I was just like anybody else. I just happened to not be able to see. So I ran around, you know, ran into fences, did all kinds of cool stuff. Me too. Knocked myself out, literally. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I felt like a space alien. I didn't want to be the only blind kid in the school. I hated it. 
Well, I and experienced I that, that, Beth. I, I experienced that too. Um, and, and a lot of people, you know, like we were talking about, were discouraged from hanging around with each other. Um, um, I was told that if I wasn't, if I didn't behave myself, my, my parents were going to send me to Berkeley School for the Blind. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, yeah. So that wasn't very good. But this in is some Nellie, ways, I, I have a comment about that. Good. In, in some ways, I, I would have liked to at least spent one year in a school for the blind because I think I would have felt more confident in some things. Go ahead, Nellie. Well, um, I think I would have uh, probably done a lot better in a school for the blind. In fact, um, you know, when I was in high school, I was really struggling because my vision was really going down and I was mm -hmm. just then learning Braille and it was really hard. And uh, so I, I acted out at home as well as in school. Of course. And my, and my parents didn't tell me they were going to send me to a school for the blind. They told me they were going to send me to a reform school for girls. And <laughs> that was pretty scary to me. I didn't want to go there. <laughs> so um, those were different times. And, 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 and some of that was hard, very hard. Yes. Christy, can I just jump in and let yeah. you guys know that we have about eight minutes till the top of the hour? Thank you, Allison. You're welcome. So, and I think yeah. I want to read this book. <laughs> Is yeah, it on Bard? Oh, it's, it's so good. It's so good. So it's on Bard. Don't, don't get it oh, from good. Bard, though, Allison. Get it, get, get it from Bookshare. Get it from Bookshare if you can. Bookshare, try uh, to get Okay, I don't. I don't. Have uh, well, I got it from books from okay. Talking Books. So yeah, I mean, it's it's more so, updated on Bookshare. It's oh, so much easier okay. to read on Bookshare. Seriously, the well, quality of the recording on Bard is really bad, and it's the old edition. Well, that's what I've got. I haven't even opened it yet, but that's what I've got. So that because oh. I don't have Bookshare, so. Okay, we have Audible. What you think I could maybe look on there and you could look. It. Tell us. Yeah. Okay. I'll do it. Thanks. Somehow I got out of my book. I don't know why. You all to afford too many times. No, no, no. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in my braille sense. Oh, you're in your braille sense. Oh. Yeah, the mysteries of the braille sense. I was troubling Christy with that yesterday. <laughs> oh, I just, I just found it. I just opened oh, it. Oh, good. So chapter nine um, talks about um, basically the production of uh, Braille materials. And it talks about the war between uh, Robert Adkins and Robert Irwin. And these blind guys um, went up in front of um, the legislature and they argued back and forth about which um, there were two different bills, which ones, which one was better. And uh, it, they were pretty nasty. It was a, a nasty time. And um, so um, with the, um, with the um, argument, 
um, 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 basically Irwin won and Robert Atkinson lost. But um, also I didn't realize that the funding, the free matter, Um, free matter was um, instituted pretty early um, at, for for books, and then um, they added um, more. Um, uh, I guess they they added more um, entities, and so you know the free matter just got you know, better and better, but it basically stopped, started out because of how heavy the books were, how expensive they were. Um, they, it says uh, the, the cost of printing, of brailing, basically printing, uh, finger reading cost 15 to 20 times as much as an ink print copy of the same book. Mm. So, then it talked about uh, um, organizations like National Braille P P Press that came about. Um, oh, the the type it was the 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 type of reading was called New York Point. Um, so the books were printed in New York Point um, Braille and Moon type. So for, for years, they printed books in all three media. Um, and so um, they, they talked about uh, how there were oversized volumes. Um, they finally regulated that. They finally regulated so that the books were only um, embossed in Braille. Um, they talked about the war between um, American Foundation for the Blind, American Printing House for the Blind, and the Braille Institute. Um, so, yeah, we Californians made history, <laughs> as well as as uh, you know, they had some offices in the. Um, the Library of Cong in uh, American Foundation for the Blind that actually ended up with uh, donations uh, making its own studio. And you guys rem remember how talked about recording in the studios of the American mm -hmm. Foundation for the Blind. Yeah. So um, we are going to close and we are going to stay with this uh, chapter for next week. And hopefully we'll get more readers and people to call in. Allison, thank you so much. And Larry, thank you so very much for streaming. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you, Christy. Thanks, Christy. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.